Inter Miami's Friday night was disastrous. Inter Miami's Friday night was dire. Inter Miami's Friday night was dreadful. The good news is they will not have to wait very long to try and bounce back. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Miami Total Football Radio. I am Franco Panizo, half of your co-hosting team of this Inter-Miami Focus podcast, the number one podcast for all things related to the team, be it news, analysis, insight, opinions, and more. And joining me today, as he has for several of the last few pods, we missed him on the last one, but he's back again. And no, it's not Steven Primo Brenner, it is Jose PlayStation 4, Armando. Jose, uh, <laughs> I, I remember I told you ho- you were going to be Jose or PS5 Jose, but you don't have the PS5 yet, so you're PS4 Jose for now. Jose, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm good. And listen, I was very close to getting the PS5 this morning, but it yeah? didn't happen. Yeah, but I'm not losing my hopes, so uh, hopefully I get upgraded with my, my nickname for the next podcast <laughs> to PS5 Jose. PS5. I, I would like that. Did you uh did you follow the tips I gave you or or is it just something yes. else? That you, yeah, oh, and you got close. Yeah, it's on oh, you. Man. It's on you now. It's on you now. But I got close, so I'm 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 getting excited. All right. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back. And and well, of course, uh, this time uh, you know there's there's not a lot of positives we can talk about. But yeah. you know that's the reality of the team right now. And and competition is getting tough for us. We get close to the end of the regular season. The first time we had you on. Then you just you just reminded me. Funny enough, the first time we had you on, it was to talk about an Inter Miami New York Red Bulls game, the one that was supposed to happen away at Red Bull Arena that got postponed because of the the thunderstorm over there. But now we do get to have you on for an Inter Miami New York Red Bulls game. We get to actually analyze the match, although it wasn't a great one for the South Florida side, like you said. So we'll touch on that, but we're going to do so in the in the second segment. That's how we did it with Michelle. We changed up the formula given the quick turnaround. So we're going to start by previewing the game against Nashville SC. We're also going to touch on Romeo Beckham, who made his professional debut. That's David Beckham's son. And I'm also going to provide the listeners with an update on Edison Ascona. So make sure you stay tuned in for that. Jose, there's a lot to talk about, not a whole lot of time, so let's get to it. Okay, Jose, so let's start with this week's game on Wednesday night at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Fort Inter-Miami. They take on Nashville SC, one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, and let's start with the biggest talking point first, because that is something that everyone is seemingly talking about, and that is how Inter-Miami resolves the center back dilemma that it has right now now obviously we're starting with this game not the friday night game against the new york red bulls so just to summarize quickly in case you missed it or didn't see the game or haven't caught up on the news leandro gonzalez pires and nicolas figal are both out of wednesday night's game because of cards that they picked up on friday night against the red bulls so that leaves inter miami with only one natural center back on the roster that's available and healthy to play because Ventura Alvarado and Ryan Shawcross continue to recover from their injuries, so they are unavailable for this game. That leaves Christian McCoon as the only center back option. So Phil Neville has some thinking to do. He's going to probably have to get creative and, and figure out a solution to this. I ask you, Jose, what do you think Phil Neville should do and what do you, what would you do? Does he stick with the with the five two three formation with the three center backs? and have to play two players out of position back there? Or do you think he should switch to a four-man defense, have less tinkering to do, less moving players out of their natural positions, 
but obviously switching the system that has worked and been so effective as of late. What do you think, Jose? Well, you know, it's it's challenging for Phil, and um, um, it's good that he probably had two or three training, training sessions in, in which at least he could have tried something um, because, you know, it, it's when you look at uh, Inter-Miami with uh, 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 four men in the back, uh, then you start thinking about who's going to be my right back because having Lewis Morgan as the right wing back, it's not exactly the same. Right. Um, we saw in the last game how um, when you challenge him defensively, you can tell he, he feels like he's, he looks and he feels like he's out of position. So um, it's a challenge, but I, I would think he, he has to go with four in the back, you know, because um, you don't want to have the three – three players in the back and two being out of position, I don't think that's going to be good defensively. And that's the main goal when you play with three in the back. And at times, let's be honest, my Inter-Miami plays with five in the back. Right. So um, I think you should go with four. Just, you know, with having the two center backs, with McCoon being um, the, the only center back remaining. And uh, and you go from there. The, the one thing that I would say about this game is that you know, it is an advantage, a little bit of an advantage that you're playing at home. So, you know, you, you kind of have the responsibility to hold on to the ball. And that's how you're going to play defense in, in this game. Forget about the formation and the players that you have in the back. Just hold on to the ball. Play defense with the ball. Dominate possession. That's how you're going to be able um, to get through this. Uh, to me, you know, it's, it's about the formation in a sense that it gives comfort to the players that you're putting in in a position where they're not used to perform. And so after that, you have to find a way to help them out. And to me, that's possession. So you think they're going to move to a four-man back line? Yeah. Okay. I would, I, would, I would say that that's what they would do. Okay. And that's what you think they should do? Yeah. Okay. I think that's what they should who, do because who, who if, plays if you don't it? do that, you're moving, you're, moving, you're moving people around more than you should. Sure. Okay. And... and who would you play next to Christian McCoon there? Who's the who is the option there? Is it Kelvin Leardam who has seen some time at center back, or is it someone else that we are maybe are not expecting? No, I think it it will Leardam. I mean, and then who's your right back? Uh, well, I, I that that's where I think you know you put back all the way back Lewis Morgan again. Okay, you, you kind of sacrifice him a little bit, and you know that's that's the, the, I mean, listen, Phil is not in a good position right now. There's not a lot of, of pieces he can move around. And um, and and with so many players being out as well, uh, it, it's it's going to be unless somebody steps up, you know, which is something that usually happens as well, because this opens a window. This is an opportunity. So, you know, maybe players coming, um, coming to feel and, and, and just letting them know that they are ready to contribute, whether it's in a position that, you know, they're not used to playing. And that could happen. And, and, and that'd be great to see because you, you, you kind of want to see that commitment from players. So I think and I agree that playing right back is not exactly the same as playing right wing back. I've had that debate with different colleagues over, not even the last few months, but over years. It's not the exact same position. Right wing back, you have more attacking freedom. Right back, you do not. Now, yes, do right back still have to attack? Yes, but their responsibilities still lie more on the defensive side than the attacking side. Whereas the right wing back, you have a little bit more attacking responsibilities, less defensive responsibilities, although you'd still have to do your defensive duty. Now, putting Lewis Morgan out there as a right back, I think that's a that's a tricky spot or a tricky 
a tricky decision to have to make there because it's not his natural position. So in essence, you'd be playing two players out of position anyway because you have Lewis Morgan now playing as a right back and then you have, you're going to have someone else there at center back, which will probably be Kelvin Leardham. I agree with you on that. So I on I think, and this is just my my guess, not inf- any inside information, I think Phil Neville sticks with the five-man back line. I think he's going to get creative in how to fill the two spots, but I think he'll go with maybe Kelvin Leardam there on, on the right, maybe Breck Shea on the left, and Christian McCoon as the middle center back. So I think he sticks with the 5-2-3. He very well and easily could go to the to a four-man defense. He, has, he touched on that in the pregame press conference on Monday. He said that, you know, when you don't have the options, a system changes likely, but I don't know. I still think we could see a five-man backline. I agree with you that I think the move is to maybe go to a four-man backline, but even then, you're, you're, you're going to have to have players that are not in their best position. So we'll see what he does there. Now, we have to note that he did touch on the extreme hardship rule that exists in MLS, the MLS extreme hardship rule, which cites that if you have less than 16 field players available you can bring up players on a temporary contract. So someone like on the Fort Lauderdale team, like an Aime Mabika, but Inter Miami has more than 16 field players available. So they are not going to be able to use that rule or tap into that rule. Phil Neville was, I don't know if he was critical, but he was in disagreement with that because he, he feels like the rule blocks the progress of young players that some young players would have definitely come up from the Fort Lauderdale team and gotten starts or been in contention to get starts in this one so it was a big talking point that that he had in that press conference on on monday now what do we expect from nashville sc what do we expect they are the, they're in second place in the eastern conference they did lose to inter miami earlier in the year two to one at drive pink stadium inter miami came from behind in that one and got a late goal there from indiana vasilev to help go on this pretty good run of form so Jose, what do you expect from Nashville SC, a team that is known more for being defensive, but has also shown some pretty good attacking things, although it has to be noted that they lost recently to Toronto FC. Well, listen, Nashville, they're one of those teams that um, they don't necessarily bring a lot of flair to their game. Um, They are very defensive-minded, and from what I saw in the last game against Inter-Miami, I was very disappointed. Um, I don't think they are a, a good team with the ball, but they are good defensively. And so, you know, they have um, sort of a, a, a similar strategy to what Inter-Miami has been doing in the last few weeks in which they concentrate on the defensive effort and then they take advantage of the one opportunity they have on the other side of the field. So, you know, you have to give them credit because they're good defensively. They're not exactly fun to watch. But, you know, it's going to be a challenging game for, for, for Inter-Miami, especially because they they have been struggling offensively. And, and, and you face a team that concentrates uh, on their efforts on defense. You know, that, that's that's going to present a challenge for, for Inter-Miami. And, and if you look at the standings, this is a big game. It's a game they, especially when you're at home, you, you, you want to get the three points. And so I think it's, gonna, it's not going to be an easy game. Um, I, I would say uh, Inter-Miami is in trouble. But, you know, they're going to have to rely on their superstars. Well, if they have any, but, you know, designated players um, to, to win this game. So Nashville SC has given up the least amount of goals in the Eastern Conference. They've given up 23 goals. 
But their attack is the fourth best in the Eastern Conference. They've scored 39. That's, again, fourth best right now in the East. So while they are known for being a defensive-minded team, like I said before, they've also shown some more attacking power in 2021. And that's a lot of it has come from Hani Mukhtar, who hurt Inter-Miami in the playoff game last year. So Inter-Miami players will be familiar with him and, and the creativity that he brings and the dangerous play that he brings. I also remember the 0-0 draw that the two teams had earlier this year up in Nashville. And he was also he also showed some flashes there, although it wasn't his, his best game. So look, for me, the key to the game is winning the possession battle in the midfield. Finding a way to give your defense a break or not have them be tested because you're going to have players playing out of their favorite or their more natural position. So defending with the ball, by having the ball, by being in possession, I think that's key. I think that's also key to maybe trying to get your attack going, which we'll touch on in, this, in, set, in the second segment because that's been a, a very big struggle for Inter-Miami this season and as of late. So... That, to me, is the key to the game. Jose, what's the key to the game for you? What does Inter-Miami need to do? Is it about the DPs delivering some goals? Or is it about the defense keeping the zero at the back? Or is it attacking the wings? What is the the key to the game for Inter-Miami, in your opinion, in this one? Well, I think when it comes to to the the key of the game, I think we have to go back to to our uh, our last topic, which is, you know, the the lineup. That's the key of the game. How How is feel... Um, preparing this team, um, I think you know it, we, we, we're going to have a, a clear idea once we see the lineup of of where um, Phil Phil's head is going. Because uh, if you want to concentrate on the effort um, defensively, then you know maybe we can see. By the way, maybe we can see Victor Ulloa playing as a center. Well, back. Victor, Victor, we Victor remains out. Victor remains out with an injury. Oh, right. he, Absolutely. He, he wasn't in the training session the, that we were able to see on Monday, or we weren't able to see the whole thing. But the portion that we were able to see for the half hour we were there, he was not on the field. He was not anywhere to be seen. So he, he will be out. However, Kieran Gibbs, this is a good bit of news, Kieran Gibbs will be back. Not sure if he'll do so in a starting capacity, but... He'll be available after recovering from his injury. He was in training. So maybe we see Gregory step in, in the back line. But, you know, my point is the lineup can pretty much tell you the story from the get-go. If you're going to be mm-hmm. defensive-minded and um, without having your best players in defense and you're going to rely on that, I think you're going to be in trouble. So um, to me, that's the key of the game, the lineup. Um, I know it's 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 not usual. You usually could go with okay, we need uh, Peter Wayne to score. We need Rodolfo Pizarro to be uh, more attentive with the ball, um, to move around a little bit more, um, to be good defensively as a whole with the new players coming in. But I think it all comes down to the lineup, and that's why this is probably one of the most challenging games in the season for Phil Neville. Just trying to find. Uh, and, and starting uh, a starting eleven that can actually compete, uh, and I think that's that's the key right there. If 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 if, we, if you don't feel comfortable when you see the lineup, and you think, well, this is going to be a tough night. Well, that's the key of the game because uh, right now, Inter Miami, I don't think they have enough defensively. Whether they move pieces around, I think it's gonna it's it's gonna be a struggle. 
So this is an interesting note on Nashville SC, and I, I do want to dive into the lineup a little bit more, but it's an interesting note on Nashville SC. They're in second place in the Eastern Conference. They've only lost three times in all of 2021, and one of those came at Dry Pink Stadium, again, to reiterate, against Inter-Miami. However, they have tied more than they've won. They have won 10 games. They have drawn 11 times. So, again, I do think that Inter-Miami can win this game, albeit the poor performance and the poor result as of late. But, again, for me, it's all about the midfield battle. If you can put the game on your terms more, avoid your defense and your players that will be playing out of position from having to make... Too much, too many, too many defensive plays or too many defensive actions. I think that 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 raises your chances of, of coming out with the three points in this one. I guess again, a, a good Nashville team, but one that just lost to Toronto FC, which is the last place team in the Eastern Conference. So they'll 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 be coming off that probably a drop in in confidence. Although they'll probably be chomping at the bit, just like Inter Miami is to get back right. on the field. Jose, as far as the lineup goes, do you want to? Put a prediction out there as to what you think we'll see in general. You've given me what you think might be solutions on the back line, but do you want to give me a prediction for for the entire team, or do you want to just leave that up to Phil Neville because it's such a challenging task this week? Well, it's hard to predict. It's really hard to predict because, um, you know, it, honestly, from from back line, you can you can go different ways. So um, I'm going to tell you that I expect, of course. Um, when, when it comes to the lineup, I, I would expect that um, McCoon will be there, Breck Shea will be there. Um, I don't know. I'm torn with the with the right center back and the right back. I think if you if you bring back Lewis Morgan, I think this is what Phil is going to do. But um, I would like um, Lewis Morgan to stay at the top. And um, I don't know if at this time I feel comfortable in the middle with. Uh, um, Blaze and and Gregory, I think they're a good combination, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that you know they provide offensively as much as they should. So I th- I say Phil will keep them, but you know at some point I would like to see somebody else just a little bit more creative there. Um, it's tough to get either Blaze or Gregory out, but maybe this is an opportunity to bring Gregory to the to the center back position. Maybe try it out. I don't think it's going to be Blaze because, you know, you, you don't want to have two left-footed um, center backs. And then at the top, you know, it's the usual suspects. Yeah, it's, it's rare to see. It's, ra- it's rare to see two left center backs play together. It has happened in the history of the sport, but very rare. You are more likely to see two right-footed center backs play next to each other in a four-man defense. And the more I think about it, the tougher it gets, to be honest with you, because... You could put Kelvin Leardham at right back if you if you go with a four-man back line. You could put Kelvin Leardham at right back. You could put Christian McCoon at left center back. But then it's, you know, who do you put at the at the right center back spot? How, you know, which which player drops in there? Gregory, you, you know, you mentioned as an option. I could see that coming uh, across the mind of Phil Neville. But I don't know. I don't know if that, that, that works because... His, you know, you're, you're then you're essentially taking away his motor from the midfield, his aggressiveness, his tenacity, his ball winning, uh, and ball recovery skills. You're taking that away from the team by moving him into a center back spot, and then you're gonna have to go with one of Jay, well, probably Jay Chapman next to Blaze McTweedy. I don't know if that that gives you enough defensive steel in the in the middle of the park. But if we're going with the five man defense that I think Inter Miami will go with, I say we see 
Lewis Morgan at the right wing back spot. I think we'll see Kelvin Leardam there as the right center back. I think we'll see Christian McCoon as the middle of the three center backs. Breck Shea as the left center back. And Kieran Gibbs at left wing back. That's that's the lineup I see Inter Miami. Or the, excuse me, the defense I see Inter Miami going with. Obviously Nick Marsman in goal. Your midfield line can be Gregory and Blaise Matuidi. And then up top you can go... Pizarro, Rolfo Pizarro, Gonzalo Higuain, and Robbie Robinson. At least you keep that midfield five the same, right? And then, and then that at least you have some cohesion there, some understanding there. Obviously, the defense is, you know, you, you're having to glue pieces together here. You know, you're just trying to figure out solutions for, for one match at least. Because Leandro Gonzalez-Pires will return for the next game. Nicolas Figal is still out for one more after this. So we'll see what Phil Neville does. It's a very big decision. Quickly, Jose, what do you think happens? Does Inter Miami get a result in this one? Is the defensive issue too big of a of a hurdle to overcome? What does Inter Miami do on Wednesday night? I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge for Inter Miami. I don't think they get um, not even a draw. I, I think they would end up drip, dropping this game. Um, I just don't see a don't see a way of uh, this team turning things around offensively so quickly, and especially when you don't have that support in the back. Um, I think the challenges uh, offensively will will only get better when when a players at the top can rely on 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 who's playing defense. And I don't think Wednesday is going to be the night for that. So I think they will end up dropping the game on on Wednesday. I would say Nashville will end up winning by two 0 Two zero. Actually, you've been on a roll. Yep. You weren't on the last podcast, but you know I would have given you props. You got the the prediction for the game. I'm trying to think which one it is now because I'm going back in my mind here. But anyway, you got the the prediction right yet again. So Jose, you've been on a roll and you've been going one zero. So those have been working for you. But this one, you say two zero. Okay, I say Inter Miami ties this one. They draw this one. A one to one draw with Nashville SC. It will not be a pretty game, I do not think. But I think they'll at least get a point out of it. Obviously, Inter Miami needs as many points as it can get because, right, or as it can as it can grab because the team right now is in ninth place in the Eastern Conference. It is sitting on 32 points. Philadelphia, which is in seventh, is on 35. So to kind of stay on track or stay within reach, they need three points, but I think they'll get one. Jose, let's leave it there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and review the game that was. Well, pretty awful from start to finish against the New York Red Bulls. We'll do so after this. I think I think the ultimately we uh, got to take responsibility as a manager. Probably picked the wrong team in terms of the amount of freshness that we we put in the team. It was obviously a we we looked leggy, we looked fatigued at the end of a of a really tough week. Uh, and I take responsibility for that. But ultimately, we, we we've still we've still got to do better in the game. Okay, Jose, we've looked ahead. Now let's look back. Inter-Miami suffered a 4-0 defeat at home at DraftKings Stadium on Friday night against the New York Red Bulls. A score pretty much defined what the game was like. You know, the, the scoreline wasn't flattering. This was as bad as the scoreline indicates. Inter-Miami goes down 2-0 in the first half before Nicolas Figal is given a second Booking late in the opening 45 minutes. In the 38th minute, I believe it was. He sent off into Miami's down two goals and down a man the rest of the way. They never really stand a chance after that. Not that they were really playing well before that, but they never stood a chance really after that. They give up two more goals to Fabio in the second half. 
4-0 defeat. Un marcador abultado, a very lopsided result. Inter-Miami was outshot 27-2. Jose, what was your... Oh, actually, before we get your biggest takeaway, this was the lineup that Inter-Miami fielded in this one. Nick Marsman in goal. Lewis Morgan at right wing back. Your center back trio from right to left. Leandro gonzalez Pires, Nicolas Vigal, Christian McCoon. And your left wing back was Breck Shea. Your midfield line consisted of Gregory and Blaise Matuidi. And then up top you had the front three of Rodolfo Pizarro, Gonzalo Higuain, and Robbie Robinson. So, Jose, what was your biggest takeaway from this one? What was the number one thought you had when you were driving home or maybe the next day after you had a night to marinate on the match? Well, no effort. That's that's uh, that's all I thought. No effort. There was no effort from the get-go. Not a good effort. Not a good energy uh, as the as the as the game started. And um, the only reason, well, there are a couple of reasons why I don't I don't I don't put this game in the same category as the New England Revolution game. The first one is because of uh, uh, Nico Figal's um, lack of concentration and getting that getting two yellow cards in such a short time, and after that, of course, the the red card. And the other one is because yes. Um, they have the excuse that they have been playing, um, you know, they, they haven't had enough time to rest. And so that's the only two reasons why I say that. But let, let me be clear here. This is not the first time and will, and will not be the last time that players from Inter-Miami and coaching staff play three games in a week. This will happen again. And you don't want them to have this excuse over and over again, right? So every time they play three games in a week, the third game they're going to get outplayed, outscored, and just run off the field. I don't think that's acceptable. This time, I guess, you know, it's okay. But you need to find a way for Inter-Miami to compete, knowing that at some point in the regular season, you're going to have to go through this. So it was a disappointing game. Um, I don't think New York Red Bulls is, you know, that big a challenge. They are not one of the top teams. I think they do have some talent, but uh, I mean, this this shouldn't happen. And um, I hate to see from this team that, to me, probably they will never admit uh, admit this, but I think they gave up in the game. You know, just they were thinking they are tired. They were thinking they're not up to the task and they just gave up in the second half with 10 men of course i get it but i don't like i, I never like to see a team um, give up on a, on, on a game and i think that's what they did in the last game and i'm sorry to say this but I, that's the way i see it so i think in the new england game that they gave up i think that that was one of my my takeaways from that game that was players just going on their own saying you know you know i'm just gonna do my thing because this game's over Etc. Etc. I, I don't know if in this one I would agree with that. I think that in the second half the game was being managed a bit more from uh well this one's pretty much done and dusted. Let's let's not uh, impact what's ahead. I think Phil Neville shows that by taking out Gregory there early in the second half. He's remember he, he's, Franco that re- remember that New England is a much better sure, team. No, no. And then your Red Bulls. Remember. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, this result was was terrible, and the performance was. Awful. They from the first minute to the last minute, they were outplayed, outworked, outhustled. I just don't, I just don't know if I agree with the with the with the takeaway or with the sensation that they gave up. I think that this was just a, a, a 
an awful, atrocious game that they didn't play in from whistle to whistle. Now, having said that, I like that you use the word excuse and not reason for for their lack of fresh legs or their fatigue because I do think that that's an excuse. Now, could they have been tired? Absolutely. But guess what? The New York Red Bulls also played three games in seven days, and they played two of those games away, whereas Inter-Miami only played one game away during that stretch, and that was up in, in Toronto. Yes, that requires... Uh, some sizable travel, but regardless, both teams played in under very similar circumstances. Inter-Miami was at home in this one with the fan base behind them. So the fatigue, I think it's a, I think it's one of the reasons that they lost, but I don't think it's the only reason that they lost. And I think if, you know, if that's, if that's the only talking point after the game, then I, you know, I wouldn't agree with that because I think that there's more reasons why Inter-Miami was outplayed in this one by such a wide margin because, the New York Red Bulls were able to execute their game plan to perfection. To perfection. They they high-pressed Inter-Miami into oblivion. Inter-Miami was under pressure for much of the 90 minutes and couldn't win the 50-50 balls, couldn't win the second balls. That's what the Red Bulls love to do. They love to turn the game into those type of battles and scrap and fight. Now, it has to be noted in something I wrote for Miami Total Football, the Red Bulls are a younger team. Inter-Miami is not a young team, right? That they have older players on the squad. You have Gonzalo Higuain, you have Blaise Matuidi, Leandro Gonzalez-Pires is getting close to 30. This is a more veteran team, a more experienced team. And it's not the most athletic team, right? Like if you looked at the team in general, is it a fast team? Not really. So it's not a very athletic team. The Red Bulls are an athletic team and they are a young team. And I think that that one played into the recovery and the ability to high press in their third game in seven days. Whereas Inter-Miami, with heavy legs, wasn't able to match that intensity. And I think that, that that's also a key. Inter-Miami just couldn't match that intensity, maybe due to the fatigue, but also because the Red Bulls are a younger squad. These were the average ages of the starting lineup on Friday night. Inter-Miami's average age was 27.7 years old. The New York Red Bulls, 22.4 years old. So clearly a big difference there. And I think it showed on the field. I think you saw that from the first minute to the last minute. Just a much more energetic New York Red Bulls team and a pretty lethargic inter-Miami side. Now, I think that is one reason. Now, the other reason for me, and I think I've touched on this in my coverage of of inter-Miami in recent games and recent weeks, their performance levels in the attack have dropped significantly. El rendimiento, as we say, has dropped by a very notable margin. And I think this stat best highlights that. And I asked Gregory on Monday during the, the pregame press conference ahead of this Nashville match. Inter-Miami has generated in the last five games nine shots on target combined. Nine shots. Now, they have gone three one and one in those matches. So... The results have been there by and large, but the attack in general has not been doing a good enough job. And I think we touched on it on what pod that this was not sustainable. That it's not a sustainable formula for success. You need to play better in the attack. Nine shots on target in five games averages out to 1.8 per game. If that's all you're generating in the attack in terms of clear-cut opportunities, well then... That puts an even higher premium on finishing the ones you do get. And again, I don't think that's sustainable because your only proven, lethal, consistent finisher on this team is Gonzalo Higuain. Robbie Robinson has contributed some goals this year, but he's definitely not the most lethal finisher. We saw that again in this game. When the score was 1-0 in the Red Bulls' favor, Inter-Miami had a free kick from deep in the first half, from and Gonzalo Higuain stood over it, and he whips it into the back post. 
Robbie Robinson gets free of his mark. Andre Reyes, the former Inter-Miami center back who now plays for the New York Red Bulls. Robinson had a pretty clear look on goal. He could have headed in the equalizer, but he scuffs the header. or I, I, I'm not sure if he misread the ball or just didn't make good contact or closed his eyes. I don't know, but he just didn't put the ball in. Minutes later, the 2-0 comes, and from there, there's just no chance for Inter-Miami. Not that there was much of a chance before that. But, again, I think that this attack needs improvement. I think that they need to find ways to 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 get Rodolfo Pizarro and Gonzalo Higuain on the same page. They were both subbed off at the same time in this one. And notably, or maybe not notably, I mean, for me, it's, I think it's notable, they did not look at each other, or they didn't really interact with one another, excuse me, they didn't really inter- interact with one another as they came off the field. Gonzalo Higuain, the cameras catch him, throw a towel into uh, behind the benches, and he looks pretty, pretty frustrated. He looks towards Rodolfo Pizarro, not in a happy way. Pizarro never really looks at him, and they sit, they sit, some pretty good distance uh, between themselves in in the excuse me on the bench so i posted an image of it on my twitter handle and in the piece for miami total football's Substack. so if you haven't seen it check it out i think you know the picture is worth a thousand a thousand words jose what do you think the attack needs to do maybe the 4-2-3-1 gets them more numbers in the attack maybe so maybe that's another reason to try to switch to that formation along with the defensive issues that phil neville has to try to address but what do you think the attack needs here? Because clearly, if you're only getting nine shots on target in five games, that's not a recipe for for exito or for success. Yeah, that that's that's not enough. And and I I think you know there's, there's a couple of things there. Um, first, you know I mentioned before uh, Blaze and and Gregory. You know I I like them both up as a player as players, but I think you know they haven't they haven't done enough in the tr- transition from defense to offense lately and I think that's the one thing that's hurting the team because you want to give Rodolfo Pizarro the opportunity to touch the ball in the attacking part of the field you don't want him to come back as much as as he has been able to do in the last few games and so I think that's the one thing that you that you have to do you you have to um, rely on those uh, um, center midfielders to not just concentrate on on, on defending but as well of uh, on being able to uh, start the build-up as, as you move forward, that's the the, the first thing that I, I think those two players need to get better at. And, and they do a, a lot of things that are okay, that are good for the team. But you have to ask them a little bit more if you want to concentrate on the offensive side of the field. That's that's one thing for me. Um, obviously, you know, we have been expecting from Lewis Morgan a lot. But, you know, it just hasn't happened. And I don't know if we can continue to expect more from him. Um, he's very good in the 1v1 battles on the right side. But for some reason, he hasn't been able to just go back to the to the Lewis Morgan of 2020. And, and who knows what it is. Maybe it's something, you know, personal or something uh, with the system that he doesn't like or that, you know, he's sacrificing his, his own game for, for the system. So I, I really don't know what's going on there. And then Robbie Robinson. I think Robbie, you know, he's comfortable right now and because he knows he has a starting job and, and just, you know, by, by not challenging him um, in, in the starting 11, that brings a little bit of comfort to his game. And, and I think he needs to step up a little bit and he needs to be better. There's no doubt about that. I, I think he's an effort guy, but right now he's not doing enough. And maybe it's early in his career and he will get better. Uh, seasons uh, go on but right now he's just not doing enough for the team and from from pipita i think you you mean i mean you can only ask for goals so and, and he has been able to deliver that at a, 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 a certain extent so 
I think offensively there's there's a lot to do, and maybe the the formation will help. I doubt it, honestly, but I I think it, it's going to come down. Um, if you have an opportunity to score, especially at home early on, are you are you going to be able to capitalize and then after that able to manage the game? That's the only way I can see Inter Miami getting points um, on Wednesday night. Other than that, you know, I think it's it's going to be a rough night. I think you mean with comfort comes complacency, right? Like you you might not necessarily be pushing yourself to to the top levels every single day with regards to Robbie Robinson, which I agree that comfort can breed complacency. Maybe it's a good point. Maybe something I haven't really considered because obviously Robbie Robinson, he's a lock starter on this team. And when he's been healthy, he has by and large started. No one's really been there to to take his place. So maybe that's something that, you know, we should dive into a little bit more. I think that's, a, that's an interesting point that, that you make. Now, as far as Gregory, he could give a little more. Sure, absolutely. But I don't think that's his game. His game is more being the, the pure number six, the traditional number six. So I don't know if, if you can expect a whole lot more from him in that regard. I think Blaze could maybe give you more. I think he, he has shown it. Remember that one pass he had, and I think it was in that game against Nashville SC, if I'm not correcting, uh, if I'm not mistaken, sorry. He he hit the nice through ball to Gonzalo Higuain, who was making a diagonal run, and that leads to a, to a goal for Inter-Miami. So I think he could give you a little bit more, but I think this team is is limited in terms of the creativity you can get from its midfield. It's up to the front three pretty much to to generate and create danger. So I, I, I don't know, you know, going into this one, you know, we're talking about the attack in general and the low, the low performance levels. I think it's just a matter of just the way the team is and the lack of creativity that they have. Because in the beginning parts of the season, the, the attack was the weak point. Although the defense was giving up goals as well, the attack wasn't scoring all that much. Then during this recent run, the attack had, you know... A, a spark where they where they scored some goals against Chicago, they scored some goals against Toronto, but they've kind of been brought back down to their level or regressed to the mean and had more issues again in the attack. So I don't know how much more we can expect. I think it can improve if Pizarro finds the ball a bit more, if they can get him and Higuain going. I think that's definitely a key to getting the attacking going, finding a way to get them on the same page and, and understanding one another more on the field. Because, again, from my vantage point, from where I'm sitting, I don't see chemistry between them. I don't see a, a real understanding on the field. And, you know, you never really see them taking pictures together or, you know, like in, in any group setting or any group photo. You don't really see them side by side. That does not mean that they have issues behind the scenes. But I don't know if they're as close as you would like them to be. And you could chalk that up to just being, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're taking it out of proportion. or you're, But... I've worked behind the scenes with a professional team before in, in my career. I, I've seen the different dynamics that exist in teams when they're amongst themselves and you know not on the field. But there are different groups that hang out with one another within team structures. It's just normal. It's just within anything. You know, At work, you might get along with a certain amount of people more than you do with others, etc., etc. So again, I don't think that that, that relationship is, is a great one. I think improving that would go a long way to, to improving the attack. If you could get those two to just really combine... And, and find one another and understand one another, I think that unlocks both of them. But questions about their, their chemistry, their understanding, and their fit together as players certainly abound, at least at least for me. Jose, before we wrap up this segment, one more thing that happened over the weekend was Romeo Beckham, David Beckham's son, made his professional debut. He did so for Fort Lauderdale CF with a 79-minute starting performance in a 2-2 draw against Tormenta FC. 
Now, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the game. I did. I had to do a report for one of the UK outlets, one of the UK newspapers wanted uh, a piece on on how he did in his performance he only had 19 touches it was a pretty tentative performance didn't really overwhelm or impress all that much his touch looked a little rough I think he grew into the game as it went on he started to combine a little bit more in the second half and he looked he looked like he was a player trying to figure it out that that's how I would say it he looked like a player that was trying to adjust to the speed of play just to his teammate's styles. He did show a penchant for whipping in crosses from the right flank. He started on the right wing, and he showed a penchant for whipping in crosses like his dad used to do back during his illustrious playing career. So lacked the, lacked the quality on them a bit, but of note, there was a play that Tormenta, it was 2-1 to one in that, at that point with Fort Lauderdale leading. Tormenta was looking for the equalizer. They whip in across to the back post, and Romeo Beckham does a good job of tracking back and and making sure he's on his mark and heads the ball to safety. So he stuck with it, showed some energy there. But again, his his actions were, if not as much, then more so defensively than they were offensively in this game. Surely there will be better games to come from him. Phil Neville said on Monday when I asked him about Romeo Beckham signing with the team that he was impressed with his performance, that you know that, that, that he's, a, he's a player that's well-liked in the locker room, and that David actually told Phil that you know to work him really really hard and work him harder than anybody else not sure what that means because Phil Neville doesn't coach Romeo Beckham Romeo Beckham's coached by Darren Powell on Fort Lauderdale CF but anyway just your thoughts on Romeo Beckham signing and and if if you got a chance to see his debut what you thought overall well I did not get a chance to to watch the game um although I can tell you this is going to bring a lot of attention to Fort Lauderdale CF honestly Phil Neville (laughs) um can have an opinion of course but you know if you want to give an overall assessment of how the week went for him in training and during the game, I think you, you, you'll have to refer to the coaching staff for, for Lauderdale CF. Uh, but, you know... I mean, yeah, I, I don't expect Phil Nova to say, oh, that, yeah, you know, Romeo Beckham had a, had a pretty poor performance or a quiet performance. I mean, I don't think he's... Right. Yeah, right, especially with the relationship he has with David, former teammates, their friends, I don't think he's going to say, say publicly that, hey, Romeo didn't play all that well. But, you know, continue. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, that tells you a little bit of about how things are going right now when it comes to this topic, right? You know, you have to say something good about him. It feels that way, at least. It's the first game, and they kind of have to, regardless of what he actually did in the game. You know, good things are going to be talked about him. Uh, that's, you know, that that's honestly, that's on Romeo. He, he needs to get better, and, and he, he needs to perform to make it to, to the first team, if that's his goal. Um, maybe it isn't, but it's going to be a challenge because right now we can only refer to him as the as the son of the owner of David Beckham, and that that's the reality. So you know, it it should be a huge motivation for him to create his own path, and hopefully he's able to do it. So, really quickly, and we'll and we'll leave it there after this. I want to ask you this: How much do you think being the son of David Beckham, having that last last name? on the back of his jersey is going to weigh on him as a, as a player or as a person. Obviously his dad's a very famous and successful person. He was a he was a tremendous player during his career, very popular obviously. But being the son of any former player that had a good amount of success and we're not just talking the Beckhams here or, or even the Nevilles, we're talking just in general. This has happened from time to time during the course of of 
different careers. Look at Jurgen Klinsmann with his son Jonathan Klinsmann. You know, with that name comes an extra weight, some burden of expectations. Inter Miami got quite a few inquiries about Romeo Beckham. This is news I broke actually over the weekend with with uh, Steve Brenner and Primo. We broke that Romeo Beckham was set to make his debut. So once that came out, Inter Miami got quite a few inquiries from what I know about Romeo Beckham playing. And obviously there were a lot of eyeballs on Romeo Beckham in this game. I think his presence in the team will raise the profile of Fort Lauderdale CF and of USL League One, the the effectively the third division in the U.S. soccer pyramid. So I think it does quite a bit for all of that. But I think Inter Miami and Fort Lauderdale CF are trying to manage the expectations there and, and try to not put so much pressure on him. Again, we said under pressure with in regards to Inter Miami and the New York Red Bulls. I think he will be under pressure just because of the name. I think Inter Miami is trying to manage that though because look, they never announced officially that he had been signed by Fort Lauderdale CF. He just appeared on the roster one day. Although I had reported the day before that he was set to 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 play for the team. The next day he was on on the squad in a game, but he never was announced as an official official signing. Now also Fort Lauderdale CF, they don't have availability. They don't do interviews with the media. They don't uh, make the games open to to us on the media side or even the general public. So that's obviously been something that's been going on even before Romeo Beckham uh was was in town or was on the squad, but I think they're definitely trying to manage his situation. Another another note, Inter Miami in this one, you know they just included him in the lineup. Didn't say oh Romeo Beckham's making his debut after the game and the pictures that they distributed for use for the press. The only one of Romeo Beckham that you can see is one of the back of his jersey that says Beckham. He wore the number eleven, not the number seven like his dad or the number twenty three. He wore the number eleven. And uh, you just see a, a picture of him from behind crossing the ball or hitting a ball upfield. So not even a picture of his face. They're clearly, clearly trying to manage the expectations. They don't want to probably over, over, uh, overburden him. And I'm sure that also comes from David as well. There's probably some direction from David there as well to try to let him be as normal as possible. But obviously, it's he's not just another player he's David Beckham's son the team owner the son of a of a very famous and very accomplished player so regardless of their intentions people are going to be keeping a close eye and and maybe unfairly expecting him to to play at a certain level what do you think well listen first I think you know um Inter Miami I I agree that they are managing differently Romeo but I think they don't want Inter Miami doesn't want for a lot of OCF to grab attention from them that's the first. And that's why we don't get a lot of information from them. And um, I think on Romeo, you know, it's it's an opportunity for him to grow. But, you know, it's going to be really hard for him to um, to not be compared with right. with David. It's going to be really hard. It, it's going to be really hard. And, and if you see the comments and if you see the articles written about him, um, there's always that comparison with him, whether – he um, plays the same way, same position. Um, it, it's gonna be really hard. Yeah. And 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 if he goes the same way and tries to be the same player, you know, it's gonna be even more challenging because. Um, well, he does play the right wing. He is playing the right wing, yes. and he is, and he did show a penchant for whipping in crosses from the right. So, I mean, the the comparisons are are inevitable, right? Right. If he plays the same position and the, and tries to do the same things. Well, that his dad did in his playing career, you know, it's going to be an inevitable to, to for us to compare him to to David. But 
Um, hopefully, you know, um, this brings a lot of attention as well to USL League One. I think that's a good league. I have been able to watch games every now and then. <laughs> I think that's an interesting league, and especially for him, just getting the opportunity. Hopefully sometime, as media, we can get to go to the stadium and watch the games in person. It'll be great. I, I laughed and I chuckled there because while Inter-Miami did not post a picture of, of you know, really post a picture head-on of Romeo Beckham in this one, USL League One made no mistake to do so in their tweets after the match. It was a picture of Romeo Beckham and a player from Tormenta FC, you know, jockeying for position on the ball or fighting for the ball, and they made sure to cl- include his face on there. I don't think that's by coincidence that he just happened to be the picture or in the picture that they post in their tweet after the game. Clearly, they're going to try, although I'm sure in a calculated way, to tap into his profile because, he, again, he does raise the interest that exists in the league. He raises the interest in Fort Lauderdale CF. I mean, just just look at this, for example. A UK rag has never before asked me, I don't, and I don't think, or Steve Brenner, to do a, a, you know in-game coverage of a USL League One game. It happens because of Romeo Beckham's participation because he's starting. So clearly, clearly, he's not just another player, although Inter-Miami and Fort Lauderdale CF will try to make him feel as one as much as possible. Jose, let's leave it there with regards to what happened over the weekend. We have the Q&A session to do. I don't know if you're sticking around for that. Do you have time to stick around or do you have to go? I will. I will okay. stick around. Okay, because we also have an, an interesting update on Edison Ascona that I'm going to share. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it because we haven't talked about this. Actually, I haven't really talked to anybody about this. But an update on Edison Ascona will come after this. Okay, PS4, Jose, before we get into the Q&A session, I've talked about an Edison Ascona update throughout the pod. I have not told you this. I haven't talked to, like I said before, much to anyone about this just in terms of discussion. But he did not dress this weekend, neither for Inter-Miami nor for Fort Lauderdale CF. He was in attendance to watch a game in the stadium, but he did not play. He did not dress. Now... I have been told, sources have told me, and I'm reporting this here on Miami Total Football Radio, that Edison Ascona has had disciplinary issues this season. That there's been different moments where he hasn't been as professional as they would like, and that he has been punished. Now, with regards to this current situation, I don't know why he was punished, but I have been told that him not dressing for either team was down to a coach's decision the team continues to work on his development not only as a player but as a person and as a professional Jose when you hear that what do you think I've also heard he's been tardy to some practices for example and and shown up late etc etc now he's obviously a young young kid he's still a teenager but he's a professional now what are your thoughts on on this that, that I'm presenting here that he has been disciplined Mm, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. Yeah, you know, I know you're a big Edison Ascona guy. I know you're a big Edison Ascona yes. guy. Yes. He's a talented guy. I like him a lot. 
You know, obviously, if you have discipline issues, you're going to go nowhere in in soccer. And so, it, it is it is disappointing. I'm um, I'm not happy with this reporting, but you know, um, it's not unusual. It's not unusual. You know, sometimes um, young players tend to um, make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, remember that. Also, uh, Ascona, he he had the opportunity to play with the uh, uh, Dominican Republic national team, and maybe like that got to his head a little bit. He knows he's talented. Listen, let's be honest. He knows he's talented, but he, he needs to understand that he needs discipline to be successful in soccer. And so, I, I'm glad to hear that um, Inter Miami or for Lauderdale CF are not letting this go. I think that's that's good on the team. And hopefully he's going to be able to learn from this. And and he's missing a chance here because, you know, this year Inter-Miami could really use him. And um, if he's up to the task and if he and if he's able to get his his head um, where, it, where it needs to be, um, I think he can contribute to this team. And, and this is not a long-term project. You know, Ascona has the talent. And I think he has shown, especially early on in the season when he got opportunities, it was exciting to watch him. So... Hopefully he gets back on track. Maybe he gets a shot tomorrow night. So I think there has been concern from the team for a bit now that he's a player that's clearly, like you said, talented, skilled on the ball, but that maybe lets the the success or the plaudits get to his head and he can lose focus and instead of focusing on the day-to-day and then the and the work that can be done, I think that there's a concern that he loses track of that and then has these types of issues and doesn't bring, you know, the 100% that's needed on the day-to-day as a professional professional soccer, professional football, professional football player. Now, you said he's talented. I agree with that. But like we know throughout multiple examples in the world of soccer, especially me as a Peruvian that follows the Peruvian national team and the Peruvian league uh, from afar... You could be as talented as you want, but if you do not have that discipline and you consistently have disciplinary issues, then that really stunts your growth. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you are not disciplined, then you're only going to get so far. That talent's only going to take you so far. Now, look, he's 17 years old. He makes mistakes. He's going to make mistakes, as all young people do, but it's about learning from them so that he can get back on track and make the most out of a career that can be very promising. We'll see how Inter-Miami continues to manage him. We'll see how he responds to this, but obviously it's something that we will keep an eye on throughout the course of the rest of this season and into next year and beyond. But let's switch gears and go to the Q&A session, Jose, because I know you have to run very, very soon. But the people want to hear your your opinions, man. The people want to hear your opinions. So let's jump right into it. First question comes from Gay P. I think it's horrible that we can't use our academy players if we need them. Horrible setup. If we sell Figal, our best defender, should we keep LGP? I don't think so. Can you talk about what the player that is on Bolivar, would he start if he was on the team right now or next year? So as Gay P tends to do, and we welcome it, there's a lot of questions there. But we'll just for the sake of time and because I know you have to run, Jose, we'll just touch on a, on a couple here. With regards to Figal, there had been reports of him going to Liga MX, a team being interested in acquiring him on a loan deal with an option to buy. Phil Neville at the pregame press conference on Monday shut those rumors down. He said Figal will be an Inter-Miami player come Thursday 100%. That's when the the Liga MX transfer deadline is, or excuse me, it's on Wednesday, so by Thursday the deadline's done. So 
So Phil Neville said that Figal will be an Inter-Miami player come Thursday and through the rest of the season because he's an important player for them. He did say, though, that it's through the rest of the season that Figal will be an important player, which I think is noteworthy because we know the implications or the sanctions that Inter-Miami is facing. They're going to have to cut some important TAM-level players, target allocation money players, come the winter. So that he just said, Nicolas Figal will be a player through the rest of the season, but not, you know, for now and beyond to me is a sign of yes he is a player that's on the on the chopping block that could be let go or could be sold this this winter because Inter Miami has to make some tough decisions due to the the fines that they've been hit with what do you think do you think they should keep LGP or do you think that they they should get rid of LGP come come the come the fall or excuse me come the winter what do you think Jose well, I think they should keep him for the rest of the season just to give the fans an opportunity to watch a competitive team play, at least for the rest of 2021. I think from the ownership group and all the mistakes they made, um, the fans uh, will pay for it. The fans will pay for it, no doubt about it, because they're going to go to the stadium and maybe they're not going to watch a competitive team in the next two seasons. But if they, if they can do that, for the for, for at least for the rest of 2020, I think that's the least they can do, right? Because remember... Inter-Miami is in trouble right now because of management. They did not manage the team well in their first year, and that's why they're in trouble. So hopefully, you know, they can wait until the end of the 2020 season to make the changes that they need to make and not, you know, start right now and pretty much start the suffering early on, earlier than when it should be. Do you agree with me, Jose, that Phil Neville saying Nicolas Figal is going to be a player that's with Inter-Miami on Thursday and through the rest of the season. Do you read into that the same way I do, that that means that you know he's a big candidate to potentially move on this winter? We Again, we know the, the situation they're in. So do you read into it the same way, or do you think that's, that's just him saying, hey, look, he's, he's sticking around for, for 2021, and he's only referring yeah. to the season? I agree 100%. I agree 100% with you, although you know it, it remains to see who, who goes first. You know, everybody, I think most of the of a players in Inter Miami right now, you know, are, are open for discussion. The thing is that, you know, everybody else in MLS know the situation they're in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what type of offers are they going to get? So, you know, if, if they get a good offer for LGP, LGP will go first. And if they get a, a good offer for, for Nico Figal, then he'll go first. So I think, you know, everybody is pretty much available uh, when it comes to, to Inter Miami right now. Well, a lot, a lot of pieces are. That's that's for sure. I don't know if everybody. I think Gregory and I, there's a few untouchables in there. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Obviously, as we go into the into the off season later this year, I do think that if they had sold him to Tigres, that's the team that that was reportedly interested in him. If they had sold him or anything of the like, that's pretty much throwing in the towel on the year because you're you're taking away a very important starter and a very important player from your team. And tough to replace him when you don't even have center backs available on the on the roster because the other ones are injured so i think if they had sold him or excuse me loaned him then that would have been them saying hey we're throwing in the towel on this year if we make the playoffs good if not then we're okay with that but clearly they're going to well, have so to make some decisions alone alone is not really helpful right now right 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 right, right? He, they're going to keep I mean, him and phil said this because you know that they're he's an important player and they want to push for a playoff spot and and you know, losing an important player at this point in the year is not helpful to the team with regards to this season. Now, is it helpful for the bigger picture if, you know, he goes on loan and then maybe gets sold? Sure, because they have to get rid of some of these contracts. Absolutely. But they're thinking right now on this season and trying to make the most of this season, which I think is a, is a smart approach. Obviously, they're not looking too long term by making such a call, but 
you know, I think that that's fine because if they were in last place, then sure, you know, make the make the move and, and, and start planning for the future. But since they're in the thick of it now, you know, try to try to give yourself the best chance possible to to make the postseason. Next question comes from Tank721. What does Neville do going forward? Should Pizarro play more of an 8-slash-10 role to get him more touches and the other center mids more involved in the attack? Or do they drop Gonzalo to the 10 and push Robbie and Rolo further up? So, I don't think Gonzalo Higuain is dropping to the 10. I don't think that's happening. I think we are going to see mostly what, what we've been seeing. Obviously, the attack is struggling, so Phil Neville has to address that in some way, shape, or form. But I don't think he's going to change the formation. I think this 5-2-3 is what we're going to see much of the rest of the way for this season. They've gotten results in it. They've raised their performance levels, especially defensively, by and large as a team. It's what's helped them get on this on this fairly good run of form, last result notwithstanding. So I think they stay there. I don't. But how they address the attack, I, I don't know. I don't know. That That's something that Phil Neville is probably banging his head against the wall to try to figure out because it's it's not an easy solution. Obviously, I think, like I've said before, Pizarro and Higuain, if you can get them on the same page, that would be beneficial. But I don't know if, if that's possible, given given their 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 history that's shown that they, they just don't combine or connect that well on the field. Yeah, I think I think we touched on this a little bit um, early on. You know, the, the the whatever can what 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 can you get from from Blaze and, and from Gregory moving forward? Can you ask them for a little bit more? We talked about this in as well, uh, about Rodo Pizarro. Yeah, I think we're all expecting that connection with, with Pepita. But I think, you know, this system is not going to help them. We, we talked before um, in, in in other podcasts, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, about how the system is good for Macun. Well, the system is not very good for Rodo Pizarro and, and, and Pepita Wayne to connect as much as they should, unfortunately. That's that's just the reality. Right now, Inter Miami is a team that they don't they don't want to create twenty chances per game. They want to keep the score as, uh, as low as possible on both sides. And they if they're able to win one nil, that's more than enough for them. That's that's the reality of this team, and that's okay. If you get the results, I mean, listen, look at Nashville, right? They have been able to score, yes, but they rely on the defensive effort, and they have been successful. Next question comes from Lloyd Helbrun. I noticed last game they had their most dangerous forward taking set pieces. I realize the service has been bad, but do you think this is a good solution? So he's referring to Gonzalo Higuain taking some free kicks and whipping in the ball as opposed to being in the box to finish them. Jose, I'll let you start here, and then I'll chime in because I think this is a good question, and I, I already have my answer ready, but Jose, we'll, we'll start with you. Well, it was interesting, you know, Gonzalo Higuain taking that free kick. You know, you mentioned it before, the cross that should have been a goal from Robbie Robinson. That's my first thought. As soon as I saw Pepita taking that free kick right there, I was like, what is going on here? I mean, you have you have Rodolfo Pizarro on the field. You even have Lewis Morgan. Why is Pepita Higuain taking the set piece right here? And, you know, I, I happen to agree with their frustration there. Um, but I think it's, it comes down to leadership on the field. And Pepito wanted to take that free kick, and that's what, exactly what he did. So it's on field to address that, you know, what what the better choice is for the team. And um, at that time, listen, as much as we, as we can criticize that, it almost worked. It almost worked because it wasn't Robbie Robinson not scoring there and not on the cross from Pepita. So I would disagree with you there I, in the sense that I think this was orchestrated. I think this was planned. I think they probably worked on it in training and that... 
you know, him taking the free kick was instruction by by the coaching staff and by Phil Neville. Now, why you have him taking the free kick as opposed to maybe being in the box to finish things off when that's his bread and butter? Look, I don't think Gonzalo Higuain is that great of an aerial threat. We haven't seen it from him with Inter Miami since he's arrived. He's not very good at winning those aerial balls or those 50-50s. So I think this is not a bad idea. I think it's actually a good idea because clearly the service has been lacking on on set pieces, especially on corner kicks, but even on free kicks, it hasn't really led to two goals. So I think Osali Guayne hits a really good pass. I think he has the, the ability and he shows the ability even from the run of play to hit a very well-weighted ball. So I think having him be the dead ball specialist or the guy that whips in the free kicks, I think it's a, it's a possible solution to a long-standing problem. Because one, he again, he can hit the ball as in well and with precision and with some good zip. And he's also not a great finisher of aerial opportunities. Sure, could the ball bounce to him in the area and with his finishing skills he can put one away? Sure, but we haven't seen that even happen from the run of play in the inset pieces or inset piece situations. So I think this is a good idea um, because obviously the, 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 the set pieces are quite a big problem. And he'll give them a bit more of a threat with regards to at least hitting balls that have more pace and more power and more precision than maybe they have been having as of in recent games or for much of this year. The next question comes from Roberto Rivadeneira. It's a three-tweet question. Can you explain why MLS has this weird and hectic schedule? In Latin American countries, a team plays once a week. Team A faces Team B twice in a season at home and away. This happens within two stages of the championship or the season. In, in, in MLS, Inter faces other teams what appears to be in a random way. Inter can play three times in a week, then twice, then once. Not that Inter has three set of players. We can't even find a replacement for Nico and LGP. Do you find it unnecessary to have this busy and confusing schedule in the MLS? Jose, do you want to start there or do you want me to start? Yeah, well, no, not finding replacement for center backs that are not available is not on the schedule. It's on the team, on not having a deep roster. That's the problem right there. And, um, you know, I, I don't see it as unusual to play three games in a week. Um, maybe if you look at it from the standpoint that these are all um, league games and not related to some other competition. But um, I've seen in Latin America some weird things. <laughs> and it's not ideal. Of course, I get it. But, you know, I think it, it comes down to several things when it comes to MLS travel um we're still um in covid days you know which especially last year created a lot of trouble when when it came down to who who you were playing because uh they didn't want teams to travel a lot and um i don't see this as a as a big deal i just think you know teams and especially in this case inter miami they just have to um be prepared for to to play through games you know listen um phil and his coaching staff they know this from a while ago. They're just, they're not watching the schedule right now and checking, oh, listen, we have three games in the next seven days. They know that. They know that for a while. So just have to prepare with what you have. And it is what it is. I don't think that is a big trouble. So I think it's more in lines with the, the chaotic nature of the season that MLS has. And I think his point is that, look, in, in the stretch of 11 days, I think Inter Miami's played four games. And then in other stretches, you know, they have long breaks in between. And it's just, it's not very fluid in that way. It's just kind of choppy and it's it, it does get chaotic at times. So I think, look, the reason for that, 
and why there's no balance in the schedule is because that's just how MLS is. MLS is a huge league with 27 teams, if I'm not mistaken right now, with more to come. So you don't play every team home and away. You can't because if you do, you're talking right now, 26 teams times two would be 52 games. Now you could have your criticisms about, you know, is MLS too big, etc., etc. But that's a different talking point. That's But this is why the schedule is the way it is, you know. For example, Inter-Miami will be playing the Portland Timbers very, very soon, but they do not play the Seattle Sounders at all this season. So that's just part of the scheduling quirks as part of having a league that is set up this way. Maybe down the line, if the league gets big enough, they'll just play Eastern Conference teams, and then the Western Conference teams will just play the Western Conference teams. I mean, again, this is just this is just conjecture at this point, but the reason why the schedule is as funky as it is is because the league is just very, very big with lots of travel involved, etc., etc. Next question comes from Sal Paradise, and he says, Once Pellegrini's loan spell ends, are we back to having 40 Ps? We'll have to buy one out again next season, correct? Unless we outright sell one of them this coming offseason. Also, is it possible to restructure some of the higher earners' deals to lessen the cap hit? So, Jose, quickly... Uh, just to touch on this, because we've touched on this on a few other pods, Pellegrini has a loan deal through next summer. Once that ends, yes, he would be a fourth DP back on the roster, but I imagine that they will sell him before that. then. I don't imagine that they will put themselves at jeopardy of breaking the roster rules yet again and not being in compliance with MLS regulations. So don't expect Pellegrini to return. Don't expect that to be an issue. Obviously, it's something they have to find a solution to maybe as soon as this offseason, but... I don't think that that will will be an issue that comes up. I wouldn't expect it to, especially not with Chris Henderson at the helm. Obviously, we'll see how things how things go. Yeah, well, listen, I think Norm, the last time we asked um, Phil about about Pellegrini, um, he basically said that his Inter Miami days are over. So I, I don't I don't expect him to be back at any point. Well, maybe later on in his career, who knows? Gets another opportunity, but at least not next year um so it's a shame right i think it's a shame because um, if you look at the roster right now um i feel like pellegrini would have an opportunity to play more than uh, juli carranza let's say if you want to pick one player right i I don't know it feels it feels to me like it's a shame but hopefully you know mati he's able to get go back to argentina and have a successful career and and hey, hopefully well. sometime he's doing well. Yeah, hopefully sometime we get to see him again in in, in MLS. Um, but I, I don't think I don't think he's going to be back to Inter Miami next year. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's coming back. And look, he looks like he's enjoying his football again. If you if you look at the performances, he scored a few goals here and there with uh, Estudiantes de la Plata, and he just looks happy. And he just obviously after the tough challenge to be playing again is probably something he's not not taking for granted. That does it for this week's Q&A session. Jose, give me your final thought. I'll give mine, and we'll wrap up the pod after that. All right. Uh, my final thought, it's it's going to come down to Pepite Wayne. I want to talk about him a little bit because I feel like he's making progress. And early on in the season, we thought about him, and, and we asked him for, for more. And some of the of the attitude, the the heart, the the intensity that that we have seen in the last few games, I think it's a positive sign, and um, I like the approach that he's having in the last few games. I, I think if he gets more help, 
and this is not only on Rodo Pizarro, but on the rest of, of, of the attacking part of the team, I think he can help a lot of this team. And so I just want to give him credit. And I hope we can see more from, from Pipa, from Pipita Iwain. See, I have to say Pipita Iwain because we have actually two Pipas here. So <laughs> um, I hope I hope we can get to see um, uh, the Pipita Iwain that can take over a game on Wednesday and and maybe surprise me, and, and, and Inter-Miami will end up with three points. I'm going to stick on that talking point a little bit, Jose. And this is my final thought. It's on Rodolfo Pizarro and Gonzalo Higuain. And I think, look, this is not information. This is just what I've seen and what I interpret and sense from the outside. I think Rodolfo Pizarro needs to feel like he is the top dog or one of the top dogs in the in the construct of a team. I think he needs to feel very important. I think that's been alluded to over the course of this year. And I think with Gonzalo Higuain's presence and him being more of a referente is what we would say in Spanish, right? I don't, I'm, I'm not sure what the, what the translation is there to English, but just his presence and him being more of the lead figure in that locker room and on the field, I think that's taken away from Rodolfo Pizarro because I don't think it's coincidental that Rodolfo Pizarro at the start of the expansion season in 2020 got off to a decent start, looked like the the leading figure of the team. And then during the second half of the season, he hit a dip in form, but then even after Gonzalo Higuain came, he really hit a dip in form and we just never saw that same level of performance and haven't by and large since the two have been on the field together. I think Gonzalo Higuain's presence and him being more of that that referente, that lead figure on the team, both on the field and in the locker room, I think that that kind of makes Pizarro not not, able, not not be able to express himself as much, not feel as important. I think that that's why their fit doesn't work all that well. And it's a shame because if you could unlock those two, Inter-Miami might be able to hit a much higher level this season and beyond, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So expect, I fully expect Rodolfo Pizarro to be moved on in the winter. But that does it for this week. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating if you think we're deserving of one. We'll be back again next week to recap this game against Nashville SC and preview next match against Atlanta United. For Jose Armando, I am Franco Penido, this is Miami Total Football Radio, and we'll talk to you guys again.